Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sit back and relax while myself, Sean and Brian burn a fellow Irishman's ear. To get the ball rolling, Phil, um, you're very welcome back to the Stratocast. How are things for you across the pond? All good, mate. All good. Thanks for asking. Brilliant, brilliant. So one topic we've spoken a lot about is the Glazers. Right now, the club wants us to believe there's ongoing change. But will we ever see a time under this ownership that decisions don't need to be approved in Florida? I don't, I don't think, think so because I think, think uh, <clears throat> it's highly unlikely that we're going to see a massive personality change in the Glazers. You know what they see, what you see is long-established business practices that they've been doing for decades. Um, what will cause them to change? Fan opinion. They don't care clearly what fans think. What fans think. The only thing that will cause the Glazers to change is if they're starting to lose money. If um, the things that matter to them, we won't bring about change, what will bring about change will be the, um, their profitability. It's the only thing that will motivate change because it's the only thing that motivates them to do anything. So we have to accept that. We have to accept that they're not going to become benevolent owners. They're not going to become people that prioritize football things. These are people that only care about money. Uh, look, his, Malcolm Glazer's sister was once interviewed um, about uh, his interest in Manchester United. And she said, the only thing Malcolm Glazer cares about is money, money, money. He's a machine and <clears throat> he cares about nothing else, which is why he's interested in your football club. And if you go back through his history uh, of what the Glazer family have done, and let's look at some of the pejorative terms have been applied to them from judges and other people involved in, in financial regula- re- regulatory uh, <clears throat> issues, it's not flattering. And so they've got a consistent pattern of behavior, of predatory behavior, exploitation. And of course, they've been sued by Harley Davidson. They were sued by 
trailer park owners, the very lowest income bracket in this country, because they were uh, applying excess fees for things like children. You know, you want to have children with you, we're going to charge you more. I mean, it's unconscionable. So are these people all of a sudden going to become football purists and, you know, want Manchester United running a football? No. Um, there's an anger amongst the fans and it's been grown. The Rangers <coughs> have cocked up another middle finger gesture just by taking 11 million mm. out of the club and dividends recently. And after another failed season, the team needs proper investment, not to mention the stadium sure. and the training ground facilities. What do you think the Glazers' plans would be moving forward? Well, the Glazers don't care about investment facilities <coughs> because of a couple of reasons. One, when they bought the football club or when they stole the football club, whatever you want to say, there was money set aside for, for example, the quadrants. And they spent that money. They took that money. Um, these are people that don't see value in Manchester United in the same way that you and I do. You and I want United to have the best training ground. You and I want United to have the best stadium. But what the Glazers know is if a multi-billionaire, which is what it's going to take to buy Manchester United, is going to buy Manchester United, they won't decide not to buy them based on the condition of the stadium, based on the condition of the training pitch. The strength of Manchester United is their global brand recognition. And one of the things that they know <clears throat> when, I mean, I, I've used this example a lot, but it applies. If when people are buying New York Yankees gear around the world, most people couldn't tell you whether they won the World Series last season or how they played in the last 10 games. What do, they don't know because it's such an iconic, fashionable brand that it transcends that anyway. So, if you're going to buy Manchester United, you're not buying it because of the stadium. You're not buying them because they've got a good training ground. You're buying them because of the global brand recognition. That's the strength that you need. And that's where they see the value of Manchester United. So they don't see a huge return on investment in investing in infrastructure because it really is not going to affect the price of Manchester United. And that's really all they care about. So, um, no, I, I, I don't see that they will invest in infrastructure. I mean, you may get what Ralph Ranick talked about, cosmetic changes, which is what we're seeing at the moment. We still haven't seen meaningful change. It may still happen. Um, but what we see with Manchester United, guys, is this is a consequence of an ideology. This is not an accident. This is not something that they're trying to fix. You know, this is exactly how they want the football club run. Now, what may change is Moss is a great master. They don't have the resources anymore to do what they were doing in 2014-15. So now they're going to have to behave like a football club. The question is, can they behave like a football club? <clears throat> what, on, on that, Phil, when you're saying about the brand being instantly recognisable worldwide, which obviously it is, but you think the, the brand has suffered a lot of damage reputation-wise sure. due to what's happening? Like, Especially, like even in this transfer window, I think it's come to light that we're not maybe the powerhouse we once were reputation-wise, and the name Manchester United is not, is not just big enough to do what we want to do. Mm. I think we're United have to be very careful. And when I talk about the likes of New York Yankees and everything else, they're not highly leveraged. So they can take some fluctuation uh, in revenue streams and what have you. The Glazers can't. So where it becomes uh, a major concern for the Glazers <clears throat> is one of the things that's different about 2005 uh, is, and even 2010 to some degree, is that the commercial partners of Manchester United are much more accessible because of the internet. So fans can organize much easier. They can spread messages much easier. They have a much better voice with social media. I mean, social media is the most powerful tool in society, both positive and negative. I mean, it, without social media, 
Trump couldn't get elected. There are certain things that wouldn't have happened in our society that are monumental that wouldn't have happened just four years prior. So what the Glazers are concerned about naturally is <clears throat> when you're a sponsor, you pay a lot of money for a brand association with Manchester United on the anticipation that that's going to provide a commercial dividend to you, that United fans are going to buy your stuff because you sponsor the football club. Um, and of course, bring brand recognition and awareness through you know co-exposure. But the problem is, is that when you have no fan equity and fans are upset at your owners, you can't leverage that to sponsors and sponsors are constantly getting abuse online. They don't, why are we paying for this? You know, this is not how this is supposed to go. You know, we're supposed to get the love for this type of money. This is what I mean, I can assure you when there are meetings with Manchester United and talking about commercial partnerships, this is not on the table. Richard Arnold's not sitting saying to him, well, by the way, you're going to have to take a litany of abuse online for partnering with us. Um, so this is not expected. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, that's those are things that makes the glazer make the glazers nervous. Then of course the protests in the stadium. See, the protests in the stadium um are important because of the optics, but the real the real problem for the glazers, um, the real bulldog is the online stuff because that's where you have location's not an issue. That's where you have uh, the other thing, of course, with that online is you have very different fan cultures across the world with people who support you. Right now, it's much easier to 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 shape that culture into one fan culture. So now, if you're an American United supporter and you bring your fan culture to the table, you want to be a part of Manchester United fans and their culture. You adjust to be just like them, and you'll see that now. Because Americans have a very different perception of money and sport and what sporting clubs are and franchises not there. But you're starting to see that shift. That wasn't possible in the past, you know. And the Glazers were banking on United global support base, providing the revenue if the local support base weren't going to. So these are things that really concern um, the Glazers and they should concern the Glazers because the one thing that we can take away from that meeting with Richard Arnold <clears throat> is United can't afford to get it wrong anymore. Now, I'm going to keep it right there with you, literally on that point, talking about social media and Arnold, because I suppose last week on the Stratycast, myself and the two guys, we discussed that meeting, and we've now had two weeks of social media fallout, and mm -hmm. obviously it is the hot topic. I'd like to get, I suppose, your take, your opinion on the entire episode uh, from start mm. to finish. What did you make of that meeting? Um... I wasn't impressed, to be honest. Like, I mean, for example, um, these are people I, I, I fully support their cause. Um, I don't think you should be recording people against their, well, without their consent <clears throat> and then broadcasting that online. I think this is deeply unethical. I think that they were unprepared for that meeting because, I mean, if, there's a lot of things you could have pushed back on with the Glazers when about investment in the stadium. Well, then why did they take the quadrant money? Uh, these are people that don't back down. They're not afraid. Well, they backed down in 24 hours after the Super League. We got petrified. As soon as they saw the online response, and this is what I'm talking about, it's different. Once that cacophony of abuse came back at them for doing something that was completely egregious, um, lots of things happened. One, the people inside Manchester United distanced themselves right, from that. Edward Bird claimed to have resigned because of the Super, Super League debacle. <clears throat> but Arnold didn't. I will have to assume that uh, he supports the idea 
And of course he supports the idea because now we see where Manchester United's finances are and why they did what they did. So um, I don't believe the second most senior employee at the football club had no knowledge of this. And if he didn't, then they're also puppets. These are run the football club. They're the ones that are making the most important decisions that these people are here to give us the illusion that there's someone else playing the football club. So to me, they were ill prepared for that meeting. They should have been prepared. Um, they could have pushed back on a lot of stuff. You know, if you burn through a billion worth of cash, right? <clears throat> there's a lot of off ramps before you get to a billion worth of cash that you could take that would have prevented that, but they didn't take. So to me, it's not, you, you can't turn around and say, Richard Arnold and Edward were the two highest paid people in their positions in the entire league. And they were during the entire tenure. Clearly were doing something right. The Glazers approved of that. They wouldn't be that. And they would have been sacked. So I would ask Richard Arnold, why were you two the most highly remunerated executives in the league? But yet you're telling me the last 10 years have been a disaster. But I also will tell you that Edward was, was hurt at um, a lot of those comments because, of course, everyone blames the guy on the way out on everything. But to, in, in the defense of the people that did this, <clears throat> none of this would be necessary if Richard Arnold and the people at Manchester United would do interviews where they can be cross-examined. I'm not talking about uh, magazine interviews. I'm not talking about other interviews that were there, it's essentially a public statement because you can't be challenged on anything. That's not an interview to me, that's not transparency. That's a PR statement. And Richard Arnold, prior to that meeting, it had private emails plastered all over Twitter for weeks, right? After the first one, the rest are just performative, right? Because he knows what's gonna happen. So they're just public statements. <clears throat> and of course, to give you the illusion once again that he's communicating with fans in private, it's essentially a public statement. And if he didn't expect that he was being recorded in that meeting, then we're all giving him too much credit because it's the first thing that would cross my mind. Is well, I was just going to say it. I was just going to say it to you that <clears throat> I, 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 I would imagine from that meeting, like he would be completely cuckoo if he didn't realize he was being recorded. But then as well as that, I mean, I tried to look at it from two angles and we discussed it last week on the show. I was trying to play devil's advocate with myself, but ultimately I think the more that I thought about it, it was just a perfect PR fiasco. And that's just essentially a PR fiasco and he was fully aware that he was being recorded at the end of it. If, if I, I was going to be caught on camera saying something about my bosses, I'd probably want to say something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Phil, just something you touched on there that it's been said that the Woodward resign off the back of the ESL, which is all well and good. Does that does that mean that a lot of lot the fan base had the wrong perception? Because most of us would assume that he was just as involved as as the likes of maybe Arnold and and, and the Glazers. Well, it all depends on who you believe. Yeah, right. I, I, I think, think with Ed, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right, I think. Look, if we look at our own social media usage, go back to when you first joined. The stuff, I've changed it unrecognizably from the shit I was putting on social media, media and claiming to be true 10 years ago, ago yeah, because you learn, you get experience, and what have you. Like, pretty sure Ed regrets a lot of the things that he said in his early tenure, like some of the statements that he's never allowed to forget about not being... Not, and he gets 
beaten up a lot on the whole. Uh, we don't, you know, being successful on the field isn't correlated with with f fiscal success off the field. But in some sense, he has a point, right? Because if United weren't so heavily leveraged, right, where they didn't have to make a certain amount of money, they they could ride the ebb and flow, no problems, right? Uh, and so, um, because what I've said before, cruising altitude with glazers is not winning trophies. Cruising altitude with glazers is just being good enough to where it's not going to provoke protests, right? And you know, and, and and not being bad enough, where sorry, not being bad enough, where it's just going to provoke protest, and just being good enough, where it's giving the illusion they're trying to compete. So second is more than amenable to them. They don't buy like a club trying to catch Manchester City or Liverpool. They don't run the football club like a club is trying to win trophies. So winning trophies is not the most important thing to these people. You know, I, I mean, I'll give you a thought experiment. If you said in front of Clazers, and you said them, um, here, Joe, I've got two things for you, and this envelope. I've got the Premier League title, and in this envelope, we've got 200 million. What do you want, man? Now, we both know what he's going to pick because we know what he values. So, um, yeah, so to me, I think um, with, with, with Richard Arnold, I think uh, there's a lot of stuff you have to take at face value because what you, I said this before, what's happened at Liverpool could have happened at United. There's no reason why that wasn't obtainable. There's not you know, don't have the budget to do it. The only reason why it didn't happen is because United chose not to run the football club. Now they're trying to copy Liverpool, of course, right? And that's what they're going to try to do. But the question is, with can United push through their own crazy and not resist the temptation? Because once they, once necessity, once they get that second place, United stop doing the things that got them out. Right? They fall back into all the old habits again, right? And so um, that, the, and if you look at United's own entropy, every three years it's the same cycle. Right? New manager comes in, does okay, gets second, falls off a cliff because United stops supporting them because now they no longer feel the need to have to go out and commit 100, 150 million to the squad rebuild because they're trying to thread the needle between doing the absolute bare minimum to be successful. Stick, stick into the hierarchy. Um... Manchester United were linked with some of the most experienced of people just that come in as a director of football. You know, the likes of Paul Mitchell, a lot of big names did the rounds, but they ended up with an internal appointment as John Murtaugh as football director. Do you think they ended up with an internal appointment because they wanted another yes man, someone they knew? And do you think that as a result made the job less appealing to some of the bigger names mm -hmm. in sport? Because you come to Manchester United and you risk you risk damaging your mm. reputation. A lot of these guys have a clean slate of building football of clubs. I think um, one of the with, with John, I think John deserves credit in the sense that he's overhauled the youth system. Um, the football club when he joined when he took over the youth team, that's where things lost. Um, there were there was a disgrace really, <clears throat> um, and uh, he's done a good job there. Where I think he's got away with a free one is with Ralph Ranick, because one or two things is true. Either Ralph Ranick was a really bad coach, right? Um, or he wasn't. Well, you need to want you to believe he's a really bad coach, hence the reason why they go there. Well, then 
do you telling me that the interim manager that you appointed from the previous interim manager is also not good enough? We picked them. So now we have to believe that you're going to get this one right. You know, so I think, you know, you know, we've got away with one now. You know, John's got away with one now because if Ralph Raniak was a bad pick, that concerns me. Now, Ralph Raniak, if you're going to pick a coach, you don't pick Ralph Raniak, right? I mean, Michael Carrick would have been better at the end of the season. Ralph Raniak's strengths is a build of football clubs. And he told me how to build a football club and they sacked him. Oh, Ten Hag didn't want him. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he was instrumental in bringing Ten Hag up, right? So I would be surprised if Ten Hag turned around and said, I don't want this guy. When I was over there in January, December, January, well, long, Ten Hag wasn't there long. Players were already leaking about him, right? And upset at him because, and I was told this, he told them a few home truths and they didn't like it, which needed to be done. Right? But he didn't just tell the players home truths, he told the club home truths. The club didn't like it. You know, the players had to suck it up, but the club didn't like it. And really the issue was two things. Um more that they didn't want you to hear it than them hearing it. And uh <clears throat> of course puts you under enormous pressure to do stuff that they just don't want to do. And and so uh I knew when he did that press conference, it wasn't it was his interview where he said he needed ten players. I'm like, he, he's dumb. There's no way, right? And so, um, and what you saw when fans are asking managers to come out in the press and say what we're thinking, this is what they have to understand. This is the consequences of doing that, right? Is that they're they're going to get sacked, especially if they're not doing particularly well. So to me, I think. Uh, Manchester United's promises uh, will be answered and whether they're capable of executing on those promises at the end of this window. So I think the time to judge John Murda is at the end of this window. As far as whether, you know, would a quality director of football come to Manchester United, um, I think it all depends on whether United are committed to keeping the promises they've made since they got rid of Solskjaer running. Because... It's not about the title, it's about what authority you actually have. I mean, anyone can be called the director of football. If you can't affect change, what it's worthless. And top guys are not coming. I mean, we'd be all, could John Murder work at, a, at a, any other top club? Well, could any other top director of football work at United? That, to me, is really the question. And unless you give him authority to run the football club, um, then I don't know. I mean, it, you can only be successful if... if um, the upper management gives you the ability to be successful. Um, I mean, if you're an impotent manager, if you take away someone's ability, the, the, a manager comes in and says, I want rid of that player. Well, can't really get rid of that player because he's worked too much commercially. Your manager's finished. Touching on, on the manager, Phil, you mentioned the appointment of Ralph Radnick, and obviously he was instrumental in bringing Eric Ten Hag to the club. But back in November, Maurizio Pochettino was a strong candidate and a leading favourite, I suppose, amongst most fans to take the place. Um, we're saying that Ralph helped bring Tin Hagen, but how close was Pochettino to getting the job, you think? Well, you know, look, we was down to between Pochettino and Ten Hag, and 
you know, that was the, through the process of elimination. They were definitely the two favourites. I think Pochettino expected to get that job, and I think PSG expected him to get that job too. Um, personally, I'm glad he didn't get the job. Um, I, I'm still struggling to understand why Pochettino was a favourite. Um, yes, plays nice football, but is that what we're trying to emulate here? We're trying to... The best of Pochettino never won the league. Is that what we are? We're trying to hire a guy that can get us to play good football, that can finish in the top four. I mean, that's okay if that's what you needed are. Then then do that. Hire a manager that does that. Right? Um, do I believe Pochettino is going to come in and upset Klopp and, and Guardiola and win United the league and battle those two? No. You know, I don't know if Ten Hag's the right guy, but what I will say about either of them, this is the first manager that's been hired through the result of an exhaustive football process by football people. That encourages me. So maybe with the Ranyak thing, you can let them off the hook because it was a quick appointment. Um, AC Milan wanted to have Ralph Ranyak a year and a half ago to rebuild their football club, didn't purely end up winning the league. Um, so with, with Ranyak, uh, I think it was more reflective of an ideology shift from Manchester United um, than anything else. And it was an in indicative of the fact that United are now going to look at young players to recruit rather than uh, high-end players at the top of the market. Again, because they don't have the ability to do anything else. The, the budget's just not there to go out and say. I mean, I knew when Darwin Nunez came up for 18-19 million, United were not spending that on a striker. Going back on, on Rangnick again, I suppose, just to finish up the managerial section. Something that I read about him once, or, or I can't remember, did I read it or did I say it one or the other, but Ralph Randick, he seemed to be the only manager to come in with no objective or no minimum standards to achieve by the end of the season. He just he just came in and just tried to do his pressing game for 45 minutes, fell apart, started telling some home truths, fell apart, and then the whole thing just turned into a mess. Like There seemed to be no impetus on him securing top four, which was very achievable for the majority of the season. And we never seemed to just grab it by the, the scruff of the neck and go for it. We just, we just petered out and threw in the towel. Like, is it not crazy that the club just allowed him to just do nothing, mm. in a sense? I, I think we had to be very careful here in saying this is a Ralph Ranić problem, um, because it's not. It's much bigger than that. And before we can turn around and blame a manager on these problems, there are so many other problems that have to be fixed. Because there's just, if I'm Ralph Ranić, there's enough plausible deniability to say so many other things that are to blame than just me. Look. We talk about putting leaders on a on a field, but leaders start off the field, right? You know, generals ask their you know, they will lead their military based on what you ask them to achieve, right? So they have to have a very clear stated goal on what they want, which you need don't have, right? And so, if you ask Manchester United internally, you define success. I think they'd find that hard to answer. I think they'd tell you what they waste, football and commercial success, but if you had to pick one, I guarantee you that the Glazer family have a different idea of what success means to Manchester United than what it means to you and me. And so this is part of the disconnect. These football players are incentivized to be individuals. They're incentivized to not play collectively as a group because of image rights. So when you have a bunch of, to borrow Richard Arnold's uh, parlance, 26 George Clooney's. The problem with that is when things start going well, you've got 26 PR agencies leaking against everyone else. And it's not my clients' fault, their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault with 
of course, then gets put in the media and creates as an adversarial situation inside the dressing room that is utterly impossible to unify and say, let's play for one collective goal. That's because you never learn incentivized to do that. And when things start going wrong, like we saw this season, United couldn't meet the lowest metric, the lowest bar of, you know what, show that you care. That's all I'm asking. Why I said after the Liverpool, before the Liverpool game, I don't care if they win. The only thing I'm asking them to do is to be able to look the fans in the eye at the end of 90 minutes. They still couldn't, right? Couldn't do it after City, couldn't do it after Liverpool, right? And to me, I think it's awful indictment on the people that run the football club that they couldn't get 11 professional football players on that pitch, all of whom are exceptionally well played, to at least play for them. You had the no identification with anything that is supposed to be important to Manchester United, the pride, the reputation, the fans, all of those things before you curb it winning trophies. You know, there's lots of teams that are sitting in mid-table that don't believe they can win trophies, that don't believe they're going to win trophies, but they believe they can win this game, right? And we don't get that with Manchester United. That, that to me, is a massive indictment, not on a manager, because at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, if you ask, 11 people to go out and do something and they don't do it. There's nothing a manager can do. I think Brighton away, I was at the game in Brighton away, I think that kind of highlighted how bad it actually got because the body language, from being on the sideline looking in, the body language of the players, they, they really didn't give a shit. They just, yeah, they, they couldn't care less. They just didn't want to be there. Look, Cristiano Ronaldo. <clears throat> Cristiano Ronaldo would have been the best player in the world if he had been playing for Bournemouth because he wanted to be the best player in the world. All right. No boss can make you a success. You can only do that yourself. Right. Before you blame anyone else, you have to be fit, professional, motivated, all the things that exist inside you before, because a coach refines your game, a coach adds five, ten percent to your game. Right. You know, when you're learning the essence of football, it's not learned from coaching. It's learned from playing the game over and over and over and over and over again, all the things that are uncoachable, right? Instinct, timing, all these things that a coach can't do. When a coach gets you, a coach teaches you how to refine your game, how to get bad habits out of your game. That's all they can do. But if you don't do that and you don't listen and you don't execute, the best coach in the world is totally useless, right? Every player at Manchester United is a world-class footballer. That's what gets you there. You don't get to play for Manchester United unless you have exceptional talent. Right? I mean, anyone that's played football will know the layers and layers and layers you have to go through before you even make a pro. You have to be exceptional. Right? So ability is not in question. It's all the other things that are in question. And so uh, at this level, small details matter. When you sign players, you have to sign them to play in a particular system that suits their strengths. This is why we often see players leaving it, go somewhere else and be exceptional because they're bought to play in a particular system that suits them. Instead of an amalgamation of players from Fergie all the way through, they really aren't suited to playing. And then Ralph Ranick, of course, talked about this. You can fix this in a couple of windows if you get players that suit the ideology of the manager. Uh, without, how you burn through a billion with nothing to show for it is when a guy asks you for a left back and you buy a left winger. When a guy asks you for a left back and you mess about and don't sign your first choice and end up panicking a week before the window and signing someone you didn't really want. Right? That's how you burn through a billion with nothing to show for it. So um, if I hand an idiot a billion pounds, I mean, we've all seen people, I couldn't tell you what I spent it on. 
I hunt someone with a brain with a billion pounds, they can turn around and invest it and make sure they get a return on it because every every decision they make with it will be sensible. So this is, of course, um, the big part of the problem at United. And so uh, the, 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 there's been so many individual agendas that have been served, the least of the least of all being the team. And so I think uh, I'll bring us back to Ronaldo, guys. Cristiano Ronaldo does not need a coach to make him the best player in the world. He has every single attribute needed internally to be that. So um, these players blaming managers, to me, is a poor excuse. I am going to stay right where we are in Eric Ten Hag, right? And I'm just going to split this into two sections, okay? Because I feel like I could speak for 20 minutes here, but I'll try to provide a, a very, very brief synopsis. Let's imagine you're an individual now who's tuning in, listening to this podcast, and you know nothing of Manchester United. You've just painted the most harrowing picture for anybody. And you've got an individual in Eric Ten Hag who is quite an unknown, and I suppose an unknown variable in coming into the Premier League. You spoke about Pochettino. Is he the man to break the, uh, I suppose, the monopoly that's held in there between Klopp and Guardiola? People look at Ten Hag and they say that this guy has the potential to do so because of his work ethic and what he has achieved thus far in his career. With everything that you've said, which has painted this harrowing picture of the club, mm. I mean, surely it's not just the incentive of saying you can manage Manchester United, not get what you want, and in six months get paid off. I don't think this is about money for him mm. at this stage. So what is the the, the, the the finer picture for him? I mean, we spoke about Ranyak's, uh, Ranyak's ploy and his, 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 his obviously his point in bringing Ten Hag to the club and his importance in bringing Ten Hag to the club the potential of Ten Hag then thereafter not wanting to work alongside him. So what is the massive incentive for Ten Hag coming to the club at this moment in time? Well, look, <clears throat> clearly Manchester United have had a shift uh, over the last six months. Lots of people have left the club. Lots of people have come into the club. There's renewed vigour amongst a lot of the new employees. And Richard Arnold will be saying all the right things right now that will spread optimism. It's easy to sit in a meeting with a manager and promise him the world. United's problem always comes in delivering on those promises, which comes later, right? So, Den Haag will have much missed a massive football club, and there's massive in Holland, right? They're synonymous with, with, with Holland, of course, coming to a great players. So, it's a massive football club. Um, and I think uh, for Ten Hag, he's in a good position to take over Manchester United. He's not following Ferguson. He's just followed four or five other catastrophes. And if it goes wrong... It goes back to what I was saying earlier. There's enough plausible deniability there for Ten Hag to go, not me, it's them. They're dysfunctional, not me. And you can walk away with the reputation somewhat intact. No one's going to turn around and say, failed at Manchester United, we wouldn't hire him, right? Because everyone knows that United are a mess internally and it's hard to succeed. Uh, I think where he's been really, really smart and hasn't gotten any credit for this is his, his appointment of Steve McLaren. You mentioned something there. <clears throat> Neither Klopp nor Guardiola had experience in the Premier League before they came, right? Uh, and I think some people in England like to pretend that the English Premier League's, you know, alien football, you know, and, and they say the same with players and everything else. Um, but Ten Hag was really smart in bringing in Steve McLaren because Steve McLaren is going to be a really good judge of players that can make players from Holland that are ready to play in the Premier League. That's mm -hmm. not always the easiest thing to determine. The other thing that has been really smart is it keeps him on side with Ferguson. 
right? Because Ferguson's still a very powerful figure inside that football club. And Steve McLaren creates a direct link between Ferguson and Ten Hag, appointed someone that will please Ferguson and is really smart about managing the internal politics of the football club, which has often been one of the reasons why we've had issues with United. I mean, the, the <clears throat> issues at Manchester United are not just amongst the playing staff, but amongst the other staff too. So, um, you know, the admin staff, everything else. What you need to have to be careful about is assuming now we've appointed Ten Hag, all this is going to go away. That's gimmicking. You know, and there's a difference between happiness and pleasure. Ten Hag brings pleasure, does not bring happiness. Happiness is achieved through installing uh, different values in the football club that you adhere to, different parameters that you adhere to. It comes from having a successful football team. It comes from the non-gimmicky things, right? And we've all bought something that's made us happier for a while. It's pleasure. Happiness is totally different. I think for United to reach happiness, they have to adhere to principles, not gimmicks, because this is these are sugar highs. They go away after a while. And it's the same with signings and everything else. It's good to change momentum. It's good to change the perception of football club and everything else. But you can't achieve what you want through gimmicks. So you need to have to make sure that they know the difference. See, when you want to learn from mistakes, you have to know what mistakes you're making. And I'm not sure they always did. And you need to have to make sure that they understand that this temporary euphoria that's come from Ten Hag and Ten Hag and De Jong and everyone else is not the same as what it will do to, to create a happy working environment at that football club. Sticking with happy and what you've said previously with regards to the Glazers, we know what's going to make the Glazers happy based on what you've said. So in the context of Eric Ten Hag at the club and fans being happy with what he's achieving, what do you consider a successful first season for him at the club? I think a successful first season um, would be, first of all, top four. I think it would be competitive and big games. I think it would be to make sure that all, a lot of the problems that we saw last season are completely eradicated this season. United have to be a team where you have routine wins. Uh, nothing's routine with United. So United going in a game against Norwich, you're petrified because they may not create. I think... There has to be a coherent style of play that's identifiable um, because next summer, if you need to go out next summer and bring in two or three tabs, that's progress. The problem that United have had is they kick a con down the road with a striker. So they've brought in Ibrahimovic, they brought in you know Cavani, they brought in players that are older to get them through. And now they need the bad striker, but they've got so many other positions they need because they delayed this so long, right? I mean, Ranić said quite rightly, "Why did you buy Van de Beek, um, uh, Tellez, and uh, you know, in the year when you needed, um, or they defend Van de Beek, Palestri, and everything else in the year when you needed defensive midfielder? You know, the same Van de Beek, Palestri, and Cavani. Why? And and so uh, Cavani, I understood. You know, Van de Beek, we still haven't got an answer on." Um, you know, it, and so I think this is where we're talking about a coherent strategy from the top all the way down that isn't disjointed. It says, if I want a left back, I get a left back. I don't get Palestra. Right? Nothing wrong with a kid. Um, but the, 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 I mean, this is one of the first things that club fixed at Liverpool with the transfer committee. 
they're always like, you have to buy the players that we need, not the players that we want. And so I think um, for for these are some of the first things you know, that have to change. And I I, I have to say, and I, I I'm somewhat optimistic that that is going to happen, um, primarily because they have no choice. So moving on, Phil, just onto the transfer front, because we we get to listener questions shortly, and as you can imagine, they're they're full of transfer questions. Um, we know that Frankie De Jong is close. But do you think the fans will be happy with the club's business come the end of the window? Uh, probably not, because fans are never happy. Uh, I think there has to be realism. I think if you know, were to get De Jong, uh, Eriksson, uh, Nasala, this, this, this kid from Farnoid, one or two others, like a Patoris or someone like that, I think that's a good window. Um, I know people want you know, to send it forward, but look, <clears throat> here's the problem with this. And the double-edged sword was Ronaldo. So Ronaldo is not going to be on the bench next season, right? And nor will he be okay with being on the bench. He's probably the most influential player in the dressing room. So you can't have a happy football, progressive football club with an unhappy Cristiano Ronaldo. And you can't send an 80 million pound striker to play in the middle when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, right? You know, in one sense, I think United you know, would be relieved if he walked away, but in another sense, it would be Armageddon because the, he's the second, it's just the second time in 10 years United's main player has complained about United's you know, lack of investment in the transfer market. We really did this too. So, with Ronaldo, also, the other problem signing him is when you have certain proclivities that aren't about winning at all costs that's going to be abrasive with Ronaldo. You're going to have a problem because he's a consummate winner, right? So you can't have, like, the football club that Cristiano Ronaldo plays for now is not the same football club he played for in 2007, five or six, whenever he came. So um, this is a very different football club. And so to him, I'm sure there's a lot of things that are offensive to him internally because of they're not designed to be to win at all costs like at Real Madrid and everywhere else. So um United are gonna to have to adopt policies that keep him happy. Because even when he at the end of the season, they need to keep him in my opinion. Um whether not not necessarily a playing role, but um I think uh four or five good signings, I think you really can't ask for more than that. And four or five good signings change the dynamic of a dressing room. Moving on to some listener questions then. Is this season make or break for Danny Van de Beek, considering he has the man- a manager in Ten Hag who got the best out of him previously? Be anything else? I mean, to me, I think it's amazing we're even having this conversation. You know, um, Danny Van de Beek's have more chances than Freddie do. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. His first year in. Okay. Solskjaer's fault. Frank Lampard's fault. Right. Now he played good for this manager. He can only play good for this manager. If you're a top player, you can play good for more than one manager. I'm sorry. Now, in Van der Beek's late defence, he may be feeling for the same reason a lot of United players feel because they're not suited to the system yet they're playing. And it's possible Ten Hag will adopt a system that suits him. But at Manchester United, you take your chance however it comes. You know, Marcus Rashford gets his chance. Player gets injured in the warm-up. 
17 years of age, gets thrown in and scores a couple of goals. That's how you, you t- Manchester United, you don't get three seasons to prove you can play. I mean, up until Pogba's last season, we're still trying to unlock him. You know, I mean, it's it's nonsense. You know, you go, what what more do we need to do to get the Danny van der Beek is very lucky. He still has a chance at Manchester United at all, in my opinion, because he's done nothing in two years in English football to prove. I want him to succeed. I want to see the player at Ajax, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And there's been lots of players at Ajax that have looked amazing now and have left. And you know, Ziyech is in a similar situation. Um, it, it just hasn't worked out. So um, if 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 it doesn't work now, I mean, it's not just that it wouldn't work at Manchester United. Who would want them? On, on the same vein, Phil, would you would you encapsulate Anthony Marshall for that situation where he's had enough chances? 100%. Andy Marshall looks like Harry Maguire to me. Looks like a football pitch is the last place in the world he wants to be. And um, Andy Marshall looks like a kid that badly needs a new challenge. Where new surroundings to be reinvigorated. There's talent there. We know that. Look, he's what is he? 25. Cantona joined United 26, right? And had career issues. I'm not saying it's Cantona, but I'm making a, a comparison to the fact that 26, you can still, if you find the right football club that's suited to you and your your strengths, you can still make an exceptional career. So I, we all know there's talent, not anymore, Martial, but here we are sitting again. It's been two years since we've seen it. You can't survive at a football club like this. City are getting rid of Raheem Sterling, right? Because he didn't quite, he wasn't quite good enough, right? Um, that's the standard you have to have. You can't turn around and say, here's three, four, five, six, seven years to find your form. Uh, just, there's no way. That's where I'm talking about incentives and consequences for failure. Consequences for failure have to be swift. Right? When you look at when United's greatest teams were winning trophies, the competition was incredible. The, the Tevez was scoring on the bench. It was things that today would be guaranteed a spot, right? a starting spot. That's what you have to have. So for Andy Martial... He's a kid that you can tell in the first 10 minutes what type of game he's going to have because it's all mental. But doesn't it, doesn't it all come down to, apart from just Anthony Martial and Van der Beek, even through the ages, the sentimentality contracts that were handed out and lads being kept mm-hmm. on forever and a day, yeah. it, it, it breeds a sense of, I'm going to be here regardless what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm staying on, I'm getting my big money. And you get an accumulation of that in the squad. Like Ashley Young was probably kept on too long, for an example. I feel like it could have been gone a lot earlier and replaced with a more a more threatening player in the position. But we keep we seem to keep making this mistake of players. Like we still have Phil Jones there. He's walking in smirking running the training the other day, thinking, Jesus, how am I still here? How is this happening? Well, you know? Here's the thing, lads, with this. <clears throat> if you've got players that aren't playing that are happy to sign new contracts, you have a problem. Right? Nemanja Maric has a year left on his contract, asked to be released because he wants to play football. That's what players should do. Andy Martial wanted to go out on loan because he wasn't playing football. That's what they should do. If you've got a player that says, you know, I haven't played much in the last two years. I'm happy to send a new contract. Bend them immediately. That's a human being that has no desire to play football or be successful. But this is a human being that, um, like myself, a bit of a weird Steve. Right? So, um, but uh, no, in, in all seriousness, this is players want to play football, right? Top players that don't play football don't care how much money they're making, they will leave. Goes back to what I was saying about Ronaldo, right? Ronaldo wants to play every minute of every game, right? Because he's a winner. There is no 
way of keeping Cristiano Ronaldo at your football club if you give him an extension uh, on any money amount if he doesn't play. And this should be the prerequisite for any football player. First and foremost, am I playing? And if you can keep players at your football club four, five, six years that are squad players, no one should be a squad player for four, five, six years. You should leave, right? So there's no question about it. The players have been given contracts at Manchester United for all the wrong reasons, right? And um, when you look at dividends and you look at amortization, sometimes I wonder what's the incentive for United to sell? Because is there more of an incentive to keep players amortize their contracts over four or five years? Or do what Dean Henderson, let's loan them out multiple times, get multiple loan fees, because that'll add up to more than a transfer fee. You know, and so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this completely amused myself. You know, Simon Jordan said, I don't care how much money you have. No one wants to throw 800 million up against the wall. I still don't understand why the Glazers have allowed this to happen. It's the one piece of the jigsaw puzzle I can't put together. You know, these are people that, if you go into their history, they sacked people at other companies for paying too much for spray paint, right? Yet they have somehow allowed this incredible mismanagement that's put in a precarious position um, to, to take place. So, yeah, there, and, and Richard Arnold said something in that video that I thought was disingenuous, where he said, uh, the person that made those decisions is no longer at the football club, but clearly he was talking about Edward Burton. And um, I refuse to believe Richard Arnold played no part in the decision making and United's uh, recruitment contract renewal. He'd be the only person in this position in the entire country that, that didn't. Staying right there on that just for a second, if you don't mind, because it's something that mm -hmm. I've spoken about previously here. You're saying it's the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle that you, you, you can't wrap your head around. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but United supplying a contract to Phil Jones or anybody and you or I sitting here can't understand why it's happening. Is there not some sort of commercial worth for the Glazers in supplying that contract yeah. to, be, to be able to say, oh, well, well, this increases the overall value and it intensifies our overall asset? What well, what I meant by that comment, actually, sorry, was I, well, the part that I can't put together is why the players was allowed such financial mismanagement to go on for so long, um, yeah. reckless spending, stupid spending, you know, no, no, no controls. I think the only thing I can come up with is they were as much a part of this fuck whether he's anyone else mm. because they are the ones that are signing off on these contracts, so they can't blame it on someone else because they're a part of it. All right, they're the ones, you know. It was Mourinho who said that comment about Joe Glazer not wanting to sell Anthony Martial because he was his favourite player, right? So um, I came from him. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what is true, Oli Kate done a brilliant article in the Atlantic just over a year ago that documented clearly the structure inside United and what goes on with contract renewals and signings and everything goes to Joe Glazer's desk. So He's as much a part of this mess as anyone else. And I assume that's why it's been allowed to continue so long, because he's as much a part of it as anyone else. So that, there's also the fact, you know, with Darmian, <clears throat> you want to sell Darmian, we'll get two million. You've got two million for a replacement. Okay. And so with United, there's always other needs. And so um, 
you know, when, when you're sitting there, if you say, okay, I'm going to get rid of Phil Jones, right? Then you have to put trust in Manchester United's recruitment team that they'll sign a replacement. I mean, Alderweireld, he needed, needed a centre-back that summer. And Woodward was telling Mourinho that, he, you know, they were going back and forth with Spurs, but they weren't. You know, Spurs offered Alderweireld to United a couple of days before the end of that window for 25 million. They said no. So you have to put a lot of trust in these people that they're going to send adequate replacements to. I thought this was a brilliant question that we got sent things and curious myself. Um, do you know if United are still paying any instalments for players we signed over the past two to three years? I'm interested sure. to know if this affects instalment payments for new players. Well, 100%. You know, because the dog is going to the PL. You know, it affects how you need to borrow money. But this is another big problem for United. If you go back to 2008, 2009, when the economy crashed, United were very parsimonious after that. And that's when the no value in the market thing came in. And then, of course, just a year after that, when we need done the whole and want to leave because there's no one based on the market. That's because, of course, Manchester United are highly vulnerable to market conditions because of how much they're leveraged and the fact that. They need to borrow money. They borrowed money 100 million two years ago for operating costs during the pandemic. Now if they need to borrow money, the cost of that money goes up because, you know, Fed raised the interest rates, you netted that in dollars. So <clears throat> they're vulnerable towards currency fluctuations because if the pound strengthens against the dollar, then um, that debt goes up, right? So it all depends. There's so many different variables. And of course, United liabilities will heavily affect what they can continue to to finance going forward. So, but they'll also have sold some players with that. You know, I think Inter Milan still owe them up a, a bunch of money for Lukaku. Um, so, um, yeah, one hundred percent it affects how they how they, they, they purchase players. Do you worry that United won't sign a defensive midfielder, or do you think Ten Hag has a vision in mind about how the team can play with De Jong and maybe Eriksen? No, I think they'll send, definitely send De Jong. Look, De Jong at this point has become more than just a signing. It's become uh, a statement of intent to support Ten Hag. Because you can't turn around and hurt Ten Hag and then say, I'm not going to send the one the most important player that you've defined as necessary to be successful at the football club. You know, you can't. And if they turn around and build on the De Jong deal and send somebody else um, and they fail, the criticism will be off the charts. So at this point, what United are weighing up, it's not just the 10 million, it's the reputational damage. It's going back to Ten Hag and saying, sorry, we couldn't secure the most important player that you asked for, despite the fact it's a very doable deal. So, uh, and what alternative? I mean, they say they have alternatives. I can't think of one. You know, I don't think, there's no obvious alternative. And you also have to weigh up the fact that the longer that goes on, the selling clubs know you need to become more desperate. So you have to balance the side between the the balance of power shift into the selling club because if they know you're desperate, you have to sign this player. You don't have to get that young deal done because the other deals aren't as fundamental to Ten Hag's success and aren't as symbolic. So... You know, you can play, you can bluff with the other deals, but I think Barcelona know you need a must sign De Jong. And finally, Phil, 
do you think Anthony will be priced out of a move towards Rafford this summer? Depends what you need to run to pay for him. Um, I think Ajax would be careful not to repeat what happened with David Neres. They had a lot of offers with David Neres a year or two ago, turned them down and um, didn't quite fulfill his potential. And I've had to sell him for much cheaper. Of course, he's going to Benfica. So, um, but Ajax are selling a lot of players this summer. And so they're a selling football club. Uh, I think uh, Anthony wants the move. He ended up definitely interested in him. Um, it also is an illustration of the fact that United aren't really looking at a central striker. So um, I think that's probably a 60% chance of happening. Okay, very, very good. Phil, before we let you go, do you want to plug your own podcast there and how people can follow you on Twitter? Yes, folks, you can find me at Malakans, M-A-L-A-C-H-I-A-N-S. Um, and I do United podcast every week at Beyond the Pitch. Um, the leagues are all on there. I have loads of current actionated players on and uh, different uh, people. going to have this young man on soon. So thanks for all of you for all your downloads, likes, retweets, follows, everything. Much appreciated. And I hope your mental health is good. I hope you're all doing well, folks. And thanks as always for having me, mate. Brilliant, lads. I do recommend checking out Phil's podcast. Like he said, there's lots of United stuff on there. And out of all the podcasts that uh, touch on United, it's, one of, it's genuinely one of my favourites. Um, so yeah thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again next week and Sean and Brian thanks for joining me thanks a lot cheers guys Sports Social Podcast Network Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.